Podcasts come and go, blogs perish, fan fiction disperses, coalesces, forms into forums, other worlds. Nothing can be the Doctor Who podcast. On this Easter weekend just past, we have so much to be thankful for. We're back. Season 6 of Doctor Who. More Doctor Who to review. The DWP has come full circle. We're going to be reviewing The Impossible Astronaut, the first episode of this new season of Doctor Who. My goodness, very exciting. Let's get into it. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 74 of the Doctor Who podcast. You have three very excited Doctor Who podcast presenters here. And yes, I did say three, despite me saying on the last podcast that there would not be a certain Trev around for a couple of weeks. Trev, would you like to explain your presence, please? Yes, James, I would. Despite your uh, feverish white-anting of my participation in this show over the last Hmm. couple of weeks, I have returned. I've found time in my schedule. I've yanked myself away from my holiday and from my hectic work, and I am here. Because how could I not be here to review new Doctor Who. I mean, that that would be a precedent I would not want to set. No, absolutely. <laughs> and it would have been extremely strange sitting down just to review a brand new episode, a brand new series of Doctor Who with just Tom. <laughs> what I mean is without Whoa. you. <laughs> anyway, Tom's Aww. here as well. <laughs> hello, Tom. Hello, hello, hello. And how are you doing, Tom? Uh, really, really well, really well. I'm still clearly buzzing off saying episode one of series six and let's completely dispense of the preamble this podcast let's get straight into it of episode one of season six. Is it a yes or a no? I would give it a maybe, I think, because I think for me, a maybe, merely because I I think we're in one of those frustrating situations we are when we get one of those mid-season two-parters. Doctor Who these days uses the first part to just set up, set up, set up. And then I I really never seem to be able to make my mind up until I see the conclusion, i.e. part two. But for this season, we're getting it right up front. You know, we're we're getting an episode which was nothing but set up. Very well done set up, mind you. Mm. But I'm really keen to see Day of the Moon next week to, I suppose, help form my decision of what I thought of this episode as to whether it's going to be able to pull it all off or not. Okay, was it pacey enough for you? Was there character? Was there enough character development for you? If you'd come, for, if you'd come to come to the show cold, did it explain enough to you? Because what 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 the feeling I get is that America is going to be shown this cold, and be to, uh, and to be told this is Doctor Who. 
did it tell you enough about the show for you to actually get into it? That was something that really um, stuck with me throughout watching this episode. I thought, well, this is the first series they've really, really, really pushed it in America. Mm. And um, I like... You're saying, I think there's going to be a lot of Americans watching this show that have never seen it before or, or watched very little of the series before. And no, I, I don't think it works as a primer for Doctor Who. It, it's too confusing. There's too much going on in there that I think you need to understand um, who the title character is, that he can regenerate, that he has companions with this um, labyrinth backstory that are now travelling with him permanently, like River, Amy and Rory, mm-hmm. um, there's there's no way in the world Impossible Astronaut would be something you would show to a fresh Doctor Who fan. No way in the world. Wow. Okay, so Trev, you're saying yes but no. James, what are you saying? Yes or no? Yes. And a big yes. I thought it was superb. Probably the best episodes Stephen Moffat has written so far. And um, before I get into the reasons why, and um, Trev and I have had this debate on several occasions, I think to say that this is just a setup or it's really hard to make up your mind as to whether this was a good episode or not until you've seen the concluding part is a cop-out of immense proportion. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot say that. They do not need to see how it concludes before they can decide whether they enjoy this. And this episode for me was thoroughly enjoyable in its own right. The other point you make, and, 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 and again, the only reason I'm disagreeing with Trev is because you asked him a fairly leading question, Tom. And yeah. no, I don't, think, I don't think the Americans would probably understand it if they are watching Doctor Who for the first time. But can I be honest? I'm, I'm buzzing. I just don't care <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. It was so brilliant. I have, you know, I have seen the series. I do know the backstory. I appreciated it in all its fantastic glory i thought it was a superb episode of doctor who and if someone is coming into this series now you know well sorry try and watch series six of lost before you've seen anything else people don't do that go back do your research you want to get into doctor who start watching it or at least start watching it in what was loosely termed series one in matt smith's first series then you will have a pretty good idea of how immense this particular story is can you come to this cold or do you need to come to this with a backstory of doctor who my personal view is if you come to this cold it's potentially a little confusing but it will persuade you if you've enjoyed the 45 minutes that you've seen to go back and do season five and season four i'm not sure that it's the best introduction for someone to come to doctor who absolutely cold but what I see is Doctor Who doing exactly what James we, we talked about in the previous podcast, giving itself a new start, restarting the story. River, he can't be dead. This is impossible. Whatever that was, it killed him in the middle of his regeneration cycle. His body was already dead. He didn't make it to the next one. Maybe he's a clone or a duplicate or something. I believe I can save you some time. That most certainly is the Doctor. And he is most certainly dead. Impossible astronaut, yeah. Uh, like I said, it's really, really good. It's really well done. Um, it looks incredible. I mean, they've, they've, for the most part, they've made some fantastic uses of the uh, 
Utah scenery, you know, the desert scenes. And there's lots of intriguing things in this story, which uh, we probably might talk about soon about, you know, certain kooky theories that might be floating around by now. On the other hand, there there was a lot of humour. Some I didn't enjoy. I, I didn't enjoy the more um, broad humour. I think probably my favourite bit of the episode is where the Doctor sneaks into the Oval Office and he's standing there taking notes. Mm, yeah. And then Nixon notices him and he just waves his hand and goes, you know, go on, go on. <laughs> that, to me, was perfect Matt Smith humour, but some of the more other more mm, blatant stuff, like um, appearing from underneath the, the skirt and, uh, um, you know, doing stuff in World War One or Two or whatever it was, that was a bit more overt for me and I didn't appreciate it as much. I think Matt Smith is a wonderful comedic actor, but I think he he, he works well more with the subtle stuff rather than the more laugh-out-loud stuff. I don't, I don't know. I, I, can I just come in very quickly there? And I, I know I'm interrupting you, but, I mean, the, the examples you're given are um, all within the first five minutes of the story and they are deliberately, overtly comic. They're a little bit OTT. And the reason for that is because you're about to come up against the most shocking, the most dark events that you can possibly have within an episode of Doctor Who. And it was to really drive that contrast home. So you're you're laughing along with the Doctor in a Laurel and Hardy um, Sands of Time or something. I can't remember what the title of that particular Laurel and Hardy sketch is. And then less than five minutes later, the Doctor is shot dead. You're right. You're thinking of um, Sons of the Desert, one of the finest Laurel and Hardy films ever. If, we, if we're going to reach outward and look for uh, references inside popular culture we've got peter's friends a fantastic film a fantastic uh, kitchen sink a very british drama um which says let me gather my friends around me before i die um and we also have uh, no country for old men uh, uh the, the the wonderful coen brothers movie which talks about um the incredibly disposable nature of humanity in the real world because you've got a doctor, and notice I'm saying a doctor, um, getting ready to die in front of his friends. And as River says in a couple of scenes' time, that's cold and it's low. Even for you, it's cold and it's low. But you're right; it's a great set. It's a it's a great setup. What, what we've got going on here is we've got a doctor dying, but I'm not sure it's a, that it's the doctor. We don't know who's in the spacesuit just yet. Mm, got some theories. Well, well, this is the thing. We, we've got someone that says they are 1103 years old, but I would offer you the doctor's daughter, wherein we have people who think they have been fighting for years and years and years thinking that 1103 is years and years and days and, and days and days and months and months but 1103 could be what he never says it's 1103 years it could be 1103 days it could be 1103 no months that's a clone i'm telling you now that's a clone that's not the doctor look at the way he's so offhand you know there certainly is something there. Um, what, one thing that occurred to me once River made that comment about being cold, yeah. it, it gave me eerie and probably not welcome flashbacks to the Seventh Doctor New Adventure range. I think we have a Doctor now that is even more manipulative than the Seventh Doctor was in those books. And he is certainly not arriving there in Utah as 1103 years old, nope. preparing to die. Nope. He has an escape clause. He has a way out. And that's, I think, going to be one of the running things of this season. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think, first of all, it is... I'm going to go completely the other way from you two, though. But I'm going to say this is the Doctor, and we have witnessed the Doctor's death. I, I believe that's completely true. 
I don't think death is a major plot point these days. I don't think it's going to hamper the story from continuing. And bearing in mind, time can be rewritten. I mean, I know there was another line in this episode saying, well, actually, it can't. I think, and I hate to say this, this is going back to something Tom said a very long time ago, and that Moffat's going to address the 13... Um, regenerations limits and I think this is an absolutely perfect way of doing it you can do it so that the general audience people who aren't heavily involved in Doctor Who law and culture and religion almost um, they're going to understand it because the Doctor's dead clearly he's not dead because the series needs to continue therefore you write a story where he actually dies but somehow time can be rewritten so that he isn't actually dead and oh he's suddenly got a new regenerative cycle either another 13 lives or who knows 507 and i just think moffat (laughs) is respecting both sides and both elements of, of, of his fan base the casual viewer and the diehard fan alike and i do trust him very much so The Doctor, in the future, knowing he's going to die, recruits his younger self and all of us to... to what, exactly? Avenge him? Mm -mm. Avenging's not his style. Say it then. That's not really his style, either. We have to tell him. We've told him all we can. We can't even tell him we've seen his future self. He's interacted with his own past. It could rip a hole in the universe. Except he's done it before. And in fairness, the universe did blow up. Would he? Would anyone? I'm being extremely clever up here and there's no one to stand around looking impressed. What's the point in having you all? Can you just slap him? Now, we've always talked in the past when we've reviewed new episodes of Doctor Who, you know, about a couple of nods to the classic series. And I don't think there were that many here, unless I missed a couple. But there was one that I really did think was superb. Um, For me, one of the most eerie scenes of the entire episode was that spaceman in the middle of the lake, just standing there. It was a brilliant image. I I just thought it was great. And I wish I had a bigger television, to be honest with you, to appreciate that on. But of course, I was immediately thinking, hang on a second, right, we've had Daleks coming out of the Thames. We've had sea devils coming out of the sea uh, in the 70s or 80s. And of course, in full circle, you've got the Marshman coming out of of the water. There's a bit of a history there of monsters coming out of the water and creating iconic scenes. And for me, this is the latest in the long run. Really, really enjoyed it. I think you're entirely correct. And, And following on from that, um, I saw an echo of Legopolis, where, where the Doctor is... Oh, with the Watcher. <laughs> absolutely, where the Doctor is is trying to reason with the spaceman. What, what I was waiting for was the gesticulation, the, the bow, the, uh, the bowing of the head, where you've got the... Do- um, back in Legopolis, where you've got the, the fourth Doctor trying to reason mm. with the Watcher. And then we look at this scene, this scene immediately the first thing that popped into my head was... <gasps> Will he will he raise his arms? Will he bow his head? And he raised his arms and he bowed his head and it was so Legopolis. So yeah, there, there were plenty of echoes. In fairness, I think one of the great things about this particular about this particular episode is that it seemed to be I won't say designed, but it seemed to tick for me as an old Doctor Who fan, it seemed to tick the boxes in terms of I want it to be older, I want it to be slower, I want it to be more stagey, I want it to be darker. All of that was there inside this episode mm, yeah do you know what for once and I, I can't believe i'm saying this i don't think i really thought of the classic series in terms of pacing structure narrative um the way the stories were put together at all 
because I was so enthralled in this story. Um, I felt that this was Doctor Who for the 21st century. You know, this was a completely different kind of Doctor Who um, to, to the classic series, which is very, very close to my heart, as you and I'm sure many of our listeners know. I, I just loved it. I, I appreciated this as a piece of modern television in its own right. And yes, there were a couple of nods, as you say. Um, I also thought that just after the Doctor, or just be, oh, was it just before or was it just after? I can't remember now. The Doctor was actually shot. There was a flash to one of the sand dunes and there was a shadowy figure standing yeah, up there i think it was almost was. silhouetted and people are saying well who's that was that uh, was that a silence and i think it probably was i think there's questions there and i don't think the answers are immediately obvious and uh, i don't necessarily think it's immediately obvious that it's an older doctor once again shooting this older doctor clearly it, it's more straightforward than just someone killing the doctor because there was that kind of discussion just before the shots rang out. The Doctor knew what was going on. And the scenes in the Oval Office were something else which I thought were fantastic as well. And right from, you know, the scene that Trev described quite, you know, I, I completely agree with him as well. I was just smiling. <laughs> and the fact that the Doctor wasn't noticed with the TARDIS being invisible and the dialogue between the Doctor and River Song, even though they couldn't hear each other, you know fantastically written and acted scenes really really enjoyed that those those are the moments that really really stuck out uh, really really stuck that's not a word is it that really struck me as, as as being really very very memorable and very very good there wasn't a bad performance here at all it was no, as if the right. entire cast regular and guest were really really fired up for this and i thought mark shepherd was absolutely brilliant i immediately took to that character um, particularly when I realised we'd already seen the older version of himself and of course that was actually Mark Shepard's real life father as well yeah <laughs> amazing really incredible <laughs> um, one question I do want to ask the pair of you and um, Trevor I haven't spoken about this with you yet but I did with Tom on the last podcast and that was the huge spoiler on the front of Doctor Who magazine saying one of the four main protagonists are going to die in the first episode now my view at the time was well doctor who magazine are not going to let something major you know out of the bag like that and i have to say i think they've made a mistake here um because it really did lessen the impact of the doctor getting shot for me because when he the minute he was shot there was oh and then i was thinking oh that's it you know that's that's what the cover of doctor who magazine was thinking about but uh, did it spoil your enjoyment either of you two um, I, I think for me personally, it was still a shock, even though I had seen that particular spoiler. Um, but I, I was still annoyed that that spoiler was there. I think it was Chris over at Radio Free Scarrow that said, um, if it's been officially released by the BBC or, you know, Doctor Who magazine, then it's not a spoiler. It's fair game. I'm, I'm not sure I really agree with that, merely because I think that they can make mistakes sometimes. And I think even um, Adam from Staggering Story said that not only was there the spoiler on the cover, but there was something inside the actual magazine itself in one of yeah. the articles, apparently, which, which I didn't go and search out. Um, so, yeah, I do think they have made a mistake this time. And just because the BBC or Doctor Who magazine announces it doesn't mean it's something that you should avoid. Uh, because for many people, even knowing the episode titles is enough to spoil a story. <laughs> Indeed. 
Okay, we've received a piece of feedback concerning, well, not quite kooky theory territory, but certainly theory territory anyway from John Lambert. Thanks for your feedback, John. Take it away. Hey guys, this is Lambert Wolf from the forums. I do have a few comments about the impossible astronaut. However, before I do, I wanted to make a couple of comments about your Season 6 preview episode. I wanted to say that I really agree with Tom about a lot of the statements that he made. I do think there is some unexplained connection between River and Amy. However, I also believe there is some unexplained connection between Doctor and Amy as well. During Amy's choice, when Amy has a confrontation with the Dream Lord, I always felt there was more to that conversation. Jumping forward, the Christmas Carol, the scene where Amy is talking with the Doctor and asks him if he was lying. Next moment, Roy asks a question to Amy and she tells him the same lie. It just seems there's this weird connection here. Also, the conversation later in that episode between Amy and the Doctor just outside the TARDIS. I always felt there was more to this dialogue. The comic bits of the special show, Space and Time. Amy's trying to ask the Doctor a question, but he seems to be avoiding her. I have heard that that question will come up again during Season 6, whatever Amy was going to ask him. So one thing about Moffat's writing style, you really can't treat any line as a throwaway. Now to the impossible astronaut. We have mentioned about the connection between River and Amy. We're starting to see a relationship growing between them. A few questions arise from that episode. We learn that Amy is pregnant. So the, so this does bring up the idea, is River, is, is River Amy's daughter? And also, could the little girl in the spacesuit be River as well? Well, either, both, or neither could be true. We do know that River kills a good man. Could the doctor be the good man that we just saw in this in the episode last night? Is this why she's in prison? However, River doesn't appear to have any knowledge of Amy before meeting her, nor does she seem to recognize the event of the doctor's death. This would imply that this isn't the case, but with Moffat, you really can't hold anything past him. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. Well, I think that leads perfectly into something I've been dying to do for close to a year. Yes, it's time for the return of... Cookie Theory. Of the Week. Oh, I've missed that little jingle. Oh, this is this is exciting stuff. It's it's good to be back in New Who mode and be able to start um, letting our minds run free and come up with all these exciting ideas about what could be happening. Um, like that feedback from John said, who is in the spacesuit? I'm of the opinion that it's a young river in that spacesuit, and that the person she said that she killed, the you know the great man, is of course the Doctor. We've just seen that in Impossible Astronaut. I'm also thinking that the pregnancy has something to do with River. I'm really of the opinion that River is Amy's daughter. And I'm going to go a little bit further and say that Amy is River's daughter. How about that? Okay. River is Amy's daughter and Amy is River's daughter. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm going to put that out there. I'm, I'm pretty sure that um, River is Amy's daughter in some way, that it, that's going to happen. Um, I think that's the reason why Amy shot at the astronaut there at the end, to set up something in the story to do with that, that, you know, it, it will set up the emotional plot arc there. Um, but I'll probably go a little bit further and say, yes, I do believe that um, 
the daughter of River Song is Amy. As Fascinating. Well. I, I have to admit, I don't have a particularly strong theory about someone who is in the spacesuit. My gut instinct is to say, I think you're probably wrong, Trev, but I do, I do say that <laughs> with pretty much um, every kooky theory that uh, that I come across. I do have a kooky theory of my own concerning the pregnancy, however. I think this is quite interesting for a couple of reasons. <laughs> I, I don't really know where to start here. Um, I'm, I'm going to take what seems like or what will seem like a bit of a tangent uh we haven't mentioned the lodger tardis yet and i know that's probably not the best way to to describe it but of course river and rory stumbled on the lodger tardis and and, and never seen it before whereas the audience of course were one step ahead there amy's compulsion to tell the doctor that she's pregnant for me makes me think back to amy's choice where of course she was pregnant now if you watch that episode again there's quite there's quite a number of funny little conversations between Amy and the Dream Lord. And I wonder whether or not there's some unfinished business there and whether or not the Dream Lord really was as straightforward as, you know, all of the dark elements of the Doctor, you know, very similar to the Valyard. I wonder whether he was actually a Time Lord of some kind, either one that the Doctor somehow subconsciously brought into being or one that did actually lie about his identity and therefore... He has a TARDIS, maybe one that isn't working particularly well at the moment. So that's a bit of a kooky theory there. And I don't quite know to what end any of that kind of stuff ties together. But uh, we'll wait and see. I I, I do feel that um, Amy suddenly choosing that particular moment in time to tell the doctor that she was pregnant when it was clearly so inappropriate I thought was interesting and and I thought the reason that was the case was because after her scene within the ladies room after her encounter with the silence something in the back of her mind made her think I must tell the doctor something I must tell the doctor something and I'm beginning to wonder whether or not the silence had actually you know given her the the pregnancy um news to pass on to the doctor i don't know whether or not it's as straightforward as that i just think that amy had to tell the doctor something and if she knew she was pregnant before then she felt well this is something i need to tell the doctor do you know what i mean am i making any sense here at all yeah no you are you are i, I mean i i i just think it seems to really reinforce that it's something to do with that young girl in the spacesuit. maybe that's not the reason why she chose that but that's the reason why it's at that particular point in the script because she's revealing her pregnancy when the uh astronaut enters the room and i think those two are linked in some way and it just goes back to my kooky theory that i think they're mother and daughter tom how about you i'm a little bit resistant to this whole thing becoming a bit like lost uh in as much as you've got to be very faithful to it and stay with it and so on and so forth stepping outside the universe in a com- purely commercial way that might be way that the way that the uh production team is going that child just told you everything you need to know, but you weren't listening. Never mind, though, because the answer's yes. I'll take the case. Fellas, the guns, really? I just walked into the highest security office in the United States, parked a big blue box on the rug. You think you can just shoot me? They're Americans! Don't shoot, definitely no shoot. Don't shoot us either. Very much not in need of getting shot. Look, look, we've got our hands up. Who the hell are you, sir? You need to stay back. But who, who are they? What is that box? It's a police box. Can't you read? 
I'm your new undercover agent on loan from Scotland Yard, codename The Doctor. These are my top operatives, The Legs, The Nose and Mrs Robinson. I hate you. No, you don't. One thing I did um, really enjoy as well is River. River and The Doctor's relationship is developing, which is strange because clearly I think River says at one point she begins to get to know The Doctor or she continually gets to know the doctor better and better and every time she meets him he knows her less and yet he's much more flirtatious with her in this particular episode because he knows he knows uh, my view is that uh, he absolutely knows that and she says the most poignant and beautiful thing one day I will look at you and you won't know who the hell I am. She's going one way, the doctor's going the other. And she's right. You know, One day I will look at him and he will not know who the hell I am. And, and that will be the death of her, she goes on to say, just in case we hadn't appreciated that point. Uh, that really did drive it home. And, and for me, that was a, a lift directly um, from Attack of the Clones with, uh, with um, Anakin Skywalker talking to uh, Ben Kenobi, where he says, I'll swear you'll be the death of me, Anakin. I don't think that's particularly clever. I think that's rather obvious. And I think had that last line not been included, then it would have been far more poignant. And uh, I think that's probably the first negative thing that I've said about this episode. But I do have others. <laughs> as well um just just to keep people happy I, I think rivers rivers lines were were all together far more uh like captain jacks uh pretty much and apart from the fact that she absolutely adores the doctor in a very overt way and jack does adore the doctor yes but he doesn't come out and and, and say it well he, he just mm. kisses him at the end of, uh, of series one but one of the lines river looks at the doctor and says oh yes i'm quite the screamer and there's absolutely no doubt that that works on a couple of levels there. And mm. if, if you put that line into Captain Jack's dialogue, then it wouldn't have been out of place. And that re- that reminded me, Trev, of our conversation several months ago now, where we discussed the possibility of River being Captain Jack, albeit tongue-in-cheek. Mm. But uh, I, I'd still like that to work somehow. <laughs> all I want to get across, in fact, all I'm going to say about this episode is, do you know, this is a fantastic opener. There's more to come. But... I think it's setting up the end of the season far more than just introducing it. Is it the end of the season he's setting up or is it the end of his era as exec producer? Because has he got a three-season plan? We've talked about this before, I know. Um, but I don't think we're going to get all of the answers again by episode 13 of this series. And um, I'm, I'm just waiting for you know the long game to be played out. And I think that really will be two or three seasons long. Competition results time now. Now, we've had two competitions on the go over the last three, well, three, four weeks, something like that. Yeah, yeah. One when we reviewed the Aztecs, and I was very privileged to interview Ian Cullen. And we've got three things, actually, to give away as a prize. That's a DVD slip. I think that's the correct word. It's the cover of the DVD. It's a Region 2 DVD. And we have two different signed postcards. And Ian has signed all three for that particular prize. And the question was, well, quite straightforward, really. What year was the Aztecs broadcast? And the answer to that was, Tom? I don't know what was the answer. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say that. 1964. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Just as well you didn't enter the competition, really, wasn't it? Yeah, well, um, yes. <laughs> so we had loads of entries for this uh, for this competition. So, Tom, do you want to give me a number between 1 and 51? 
Ooh, let's go for 32. Number 32 is Matthew Heckler. You are the winner, so congratulations. For what it's worth, absolutely every single entry we had got the answer spot on correct. We didn't have a wrong answer. <laughs> so Excellent. Either we've got a very knowledgeable base of, uh, of listeners there, or... Um, Wikipedia is just too easy to, 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 to find, and it just happens to be accurate. But uh, anyway. Right, and the second competition was set around Stephen Hall, the writer of A Death in a Family. Now, uh, the question that we had here was that the word lord in A Death in a Family was played by Mr Ian Reddington. Uh, and what we wanted to know was which Sylvester McCoy story he featured in. Uh, James, do you know the answer to this one? I did know the answer to this one, yes. This was the chief clown in Greatest Show in a Galaxy. We were just looking for Greatest Show in a Galaxy, though. though. <laughs> perfect, perfect. OK, well, in which case, I've got all the answers in front of me. Mm-hmm. Would you like to give me... Uh, well, I should, I should say I've got all the correct answers in front of me no I haven't I've got the names of all the correct entrants in front of me would you like to give me a number between 1 and in this case 52 ooh ok we shall go for 11 right ok let's have a look down here that is Ian Rennie so Ian congratulations you've won uh, a signed first edition of the Raw Shark Texts by Stephen Hall Fantastic. So congratulations, Ian, and congratulations, Matthew. Your prizes will be winging their way to you, well, pretty much as we speak. One last thing to end on, perhaps, then, guys. One further possible kooky theory. And we've talked about silence um, a little bit in this podcast. Silence in the library. Are the Vashta Narada silence, (laughs) or are they related to silence? Uh, Will it transpire that the silence were behind the events in the library? Or is, is, is that something that's just, uh, you know, far too kooky? I think there's lots of little links back to um, Russell T. Davies' Doctor Who, because, I mean, we're, we're seeing in the uh, teaser for Day of the Moon, and I think we've seen it before, that there's writing over the faces of at least two of the main characters. So that, that goes all the way back to Impossible Planet. So yeah. I, I don't think it's coincidence that we have Impossible in the title of this two-parter. Um, and yeah, I, I think we are going to get links back to Silence in the Library because it cannot be a coincidence that um, you know we have the use of the silence. There is going to be things that are going to reach back all the way back, and I think having River there with her last interaction with the Doctor she's just met, if that makes sense, um, that that we are definitely going to be getting um, links back to all the way back to that story as well. Just a quick question. You mentioned the Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit there. Wasn't there some kind of five-bar gates marked on the walls as well? Or was that was that characters? Were they emblems? James, you are entirely correct. It was all about marking your own skin. I think you're, I think you're entirely right. And the right. trailer for part two? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Marks all over your skin, all about how many times did I see that silent. You're entirely correct. I think what we've got is a a super huge loop. I think we've got the rewarding of old Doctor Who fans in terms of be patient, see the loop. I think we've got the induction of new Doctor Who fans in terms of be patient and see the loop. Does that bring us all to the end of the review of The Impossible Astronaut? Or have we got anything else really, really important to say? I've got nothing left in the tank, I'm afraid, other than I'm looking forward to next week. Very much so. And and this time around, I've got, you know, pretty much no idea what's going to happen. I think... With, uh, with 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 the exception of a pretty good idea of why they're marking themselves, you know, keeping tally of things, 
on their own skin. Um, I've got a pretty good idea what that, that's all about. But aside from that, I really don't know where else this story is going to go. Um, I, I do hope we do get a resolution uh, to, to the Doctor's parent death in episode two. I sometimes somehow think that's unlikely. It will be it, It's too big a quandary to pose in episode one to pay off immediately the next week. Um, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Anyway, Mark, thank you for this fantastic piece of feedback. We're going to play out on it. We'll catch you next week, guys. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> What's that? Several thoughts occurred to me when I watched the episode. Mostly, wow, and he is back. Um, but let's focus in on the story. There's an awful lot to put right now. I mean, you've got Dead Doctor to revive and things like that. But the astronaut themselves, the astronaut coming out shooting the Doctor scene, the astronaut lifts up a face mask, and you get a fraction of a second glimpse of the lips. Um, I looked at that, and it's... I don't know who it is. It's certainly not Rory or Amy, I don't think, but it could be River, it could be the Doctor. Um, River shooting at the astronauts um, doesn't do any damage and says something like, oh, of course not. Now, that could be taken as just regret that she wasn't able to take revenge, but it could be something else. Maybe she was acting in emotion and actually remembers doing that to the Doctor herself, which would seem, seem to be stretching it a bit, but I can't quite get past that. There seems to be more to it than meets the eye there. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to next week job done for episode one let's hope episode two pays off bye-bye that was the doctor who podcast which you can find at the doctor who podcast.com if you have any feedback please send it into feedback at the doctor who podcast.com you can also find us on twitter facebook and via the doctor who podcast forums thank you for listening take care On this Weasterique, uh, Weasterique. <laughs> <laughs> no, I prefer Tom's opening. Uh, <laughs> Weaster, oh my god, <laughs> Very good. <laughs> River is the Doctor, the Raleigh is the Doctor, and the Doctor is the Raleigh, and the Raleigh is Barusa. All right.